So it's January 26th today. It's Australia Day. Does it really feel like Australia Day to you? What about tomorrow morning? Will that feel like Australia Day? There's something about a public holiday, isn't there, that's quintessentially Australian. We love to celebrate a day off. So Australia Day is our national day. And according to the powers that be, who run the Australia Day website, here's some stats for you. Three in four Aussies think that, um, or actually believe that Australia Day has a bigger meaning beyond being a day off. Who could have thought? 13 million Aussies, that's over half the country, participate in some sort of Australia Day activity or celebration. 54% of Aussies give thought to how lucky we are to live in Australia. And 46% of Australians celebrate the freedom we have living in Australia. And over 16,000 new Australians become citizens each year on Australia Day. 75% of Australians believe the day should be a time to recognise and celebrate the country's cultural diversity. Now, I'm not sure who they actually surveyed to get these results. Uh, they didn't call me. But let's hope they provide a reasonable, uh, reasonably accurate indication of what's going on. But our, na- our National Day, Australia Day, gives us a sense of national pride, doesn't it? It gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us a sense of where we fit, not just uh, in our own homes and communities, but in the world. And it prompts us to think about what makes us distinctive as a nation. So what do you think it means to be Australian? What are the essential characteristics of an Aussie? This is the interactive part where you get to talk. What do you think are some Aussie characteristics? Bogan. That's not a characteristic, Reuben. G'day. What about character traits when you think of characteristics? What are Aussies like? What are we like? Easy going. Laid back. Pardon? Friendly. Most Aussies are in general. Generous. What are some, what are some really popular Aussie principles? I know I was think, trying to think through some of these and I was thinking one of, the, one of the most highly regarded Aussie principles is this sense of everyone being able to get a fair go. That's pretty Australian, isn't it? Everyone gets a fair go. Oh, you can put barbecue sauce on anything, Renee. It's the freedom, that's the freedom we enjoy in Australia. You jam the tomato sauce in, you put the barbecue sauce and the chilli sauce on top. That's what we can do. That's how we roll. Yeah, yeah. Now, Australians, we're a little bit sport-obsessed, aren't we? Tim's already asking about the crickets. And um, the bowlers and the batters. We love sport, don't we? And we love the underdog. And I think as a nation, we enjoy a little bit being the underdog. It's always good to, you know, come from a country of 26 million people and, you know, versus a country of 250 million citizens and stick it to them. It's good, isn't it? We love being the underdog. We love, we love standing up for ourselves. Now, we have a love for sausages. I don't know whether you knew that. Whether it's at Bunnings on Saturday or the polling booth. 
Aussies love sausages, don't they? Tim does. What sort of sauce do you have on your sausages, Tim? This is apparently the... It's tomato all the way. Tomato sauce all the way, okay. Now, another essential Aussie character trait is larrikinism. Everyone loves a... We take the mickey out of each other a little bit and we love a laugh, don't we? Yeah? yeah? Do you reckon that's uh, an essential Aussie trait? Now, are there any others that we've missed that you think are real important? Dad said, if you're an Aussie, you, this is us. This is us. Mateship. She'll be right. Easy going. Mateship, standing up for and being there for one another. So these are the things, or some of the things, I guess, that we think characterise us as a nation. And we reckon, when we come to Australia Day, that those things are worth celebrating, aren't they? But Australia Day can mean different things to different people. There are some very real tensions which we've touched on this morning around Australia Day for many Aussies. You see, some Aussies see Australia Day as a celebration of hope and future, a celebration of freedom, and a celebration of Australia as a a great and beautiful new home. But some Aussies see it as a day of mourning and a day that signifies loss and oppression. You see, we don't always see things from the same perspectives, do we? We come from such varied backgrounds, and here in Australia, we have our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, We have families who have lived here for generation after generation. And we've got people who've just come to call Australia home. We all live together. We've come from all corners of the globe to call Australia our home. So the tension around Australia Day is real, it's complex, and it's not easily resolved. But this tension reminds me that we are diverse. We are a strange people. We come from many different backgrounds. But we also have many different but individual parts to play in creating the future of our nation, Australia. So that the diversity and individual contribution to a shared future that Australians have isn't dissimilar to my other citizenship. Now, I don't have a passport and I'm not recognised formally as a dual citizen, but I love Australia and it's nice to live here, but I have a citizenship that I value more. And that citizenship is in God's kingdom. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him... You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what does it mean for us to be no longer strangers and aliens? We move from being unknown and not belonging and on our own to being known, being accepted and being part of a new family. We move from being somewhere far away, different, to being home. We're granted citizenship. But not only that, we're brought into the very family of God being made members of his household. And in the church, we each have different backgrounds, varied skills and abilities, strengths and weaknesses, yet we're all brought into the family of God. So as we have considered this morning already, what's it mean to be an Aussie? What's it mean to be Australian? What I want us to look at today 
is what it means to be someone who's been called into the family of God. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take our reading from there this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1 and read through to verse 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one, hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This morning I want to have a look at the what, why and how of the character of the family of God. As we look at the what, we've been called into the family of God. What are the character expectations worthy of the calling to which we've been called? Verse 2 and 3 sets these out for us. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, looking down that list, I think there's a few tricky ones, so let's break them down. What do we think about humility? Romans 12 is a... Uh, a well-known passage, and again, it speaks of the body and many members and many parts. Let's read uh, the first eight verses together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, 
the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I don't think it was an accident that the first characteristic Paul recorded here was humility. I think it's very difficult, very, very difficult for us to be truly part of a team or a family if we think that we're better than everybody else. It's difficult, isn't it, for us to work together, to live, to bear together, if we think that we're better than somebody else. And even more importantly than that, I think it's very difficult for us to be building others up um, when we're looking down on them. Doesn't work, does it? So humility, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. And I think the, the flip side of humility is the value that we see in others. Isn't that right? So after humility, the second characteristic that Paul lists is gentleness. Now 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now I love the reference that Paul uses to the gentleness of a nursing mother. We've got a few bubs here this morning. And is there any greater example you can think of of that selfless, gentle care than a nursing mother putting her baby's needs uh, far above and beyond her own? When we build on a foundation of humility, gentleness brings kindness and tenderness to the family of God. And gentleness enables us to truly care for each other as we build one another up. The next characteristic Paul lists is patience. Colossians 3 says, Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Does that sound like something else we've been talking about this morning? This diversity that we've been brought together? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this passage actually echoes relatively closely our reading from Ephesians 4. Now, I don't know about you, but I think sometimes that one of the hardest things about parenting is patience. The ability to tolerate delay, problems or suffering without becoming angry or anxious. Patience helps us to see clearly and deal with people and situations that might arise without offering a response that's fueled by emotion. It allows us to take a step back and see things for what they are. And as we respond with patience, we see the opportunities to build up in love instead of responding through the red mist of anger. Now, this is obviously something that's new that previous generations of parents haven't had to deal with. I know when I was young all those years ago that my generation never disobeyed, tested, or stretched our parents. 
What, what are you laughing at? <laughs> it's not true, is it? It's not only recently that families required patience. Considering that Paul wrote his letters to the Colossian and Ephesian churches, these passages we've just read, in about 60 AD, would suggest that the need for patience in the family of God has been around for some time. But it's also a dangerous thing to pray and ask for patience because God doesn't necessarily give you patience, but he gives you opportunities. Opportunities to test, stretch and grow your patience. So we've come from humility to patience to bearing with one another in love. So bearing with one another... The ability to accept, endure, and to tolerate. And I don't know about you, but when I read those words, accept, endure, and tolerate, I start to think, okay, here we go. Things are about to get interesting. But as we're called to bear with one another, the inference is that there will be friction. There will be loads to share. We'll be challenged to accept and provided with opportunities to endure and tolerate each other. It means that it won't always be smooth sailing. Here's a question for you. What does it do to your attitude if you're asked or required to bear with someone without love? What do you, how, do you, how do you respond to that if you're asked to bear with someone without love? Yeah, it's cold. And I think what it does inside us, it builds up resentment, anger and frustration. So I think there's an unbreakable link between bearing with someone in love. The famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. It's in love that we're equipped to bear with one another. Love gives us the motivation and the sustenance to accept and endure and tolerate one another. As we've already talked about, we're a diverse people. We've been brought into a new family from different backgrounds with different strengths and different areas of need. As we love one another, we use our strengths to support the weakness of others. Now, your strength, you might wonder what it is. It might be a special skill. It might be a gift. It might be your ability to offer kind words. Or it might simply be the gift of your time. We can use whatever gift God has given to us to bear with one another in love. From humility, patience, bearing with one another in love, to maintaining unity. Now, maintenance is not something that a lot of us love. We maintain things to preserve their condition, or we can preserve a situation. Now, not many of us enjoy it generally, but we know it's necessary to avoid problems later on, isn't it? You might maintain your car, and you do it to make sure that it operates correctly and safely. We do it to make sure that it'll still be around when we need it next, and we do it to avoid the potentially significant cost if it fails and we need to replace it. We maintain it. Likewise, we must maintain unity for similar reasons. So that we'll be unified, we will be unified when testing times come and we won't face this significant cost of failure when unity disappears. But what is this unity of the spirit that we're maintaining? 
I think I would sum up Christian unity as having common convictions about Jesus, a common hope in Jesus, and a common care for each other. So that's our Christian unity, those three things. Common conviction, a common hope, and common care. Now our passage from Ephesians 4 mentions unity twice in verses 3 and 13. Verse 3 asks us to maintain unity, while verse 13 asks us to press on until we attain unity. Now, I don't think Paul is referring to two different expressions of unity for us to pursue, but rather we must, but I think he's reminding us that we must first of all maintain, that is, work to preserve and protect, the unity we have received through the work of Jesus at the cross. This is when we, this is when and where we were made one people through the process of reconciliation. We've already been joined together in this union. But in another sense, the unity that Jesus purchased and guaranteed at the cross must now be lived out and brought to its full expression in the life of the church. And in this sense, it's still a goal to be attained. So on one hand, we have the unity that we um, are brought into when we accept Christ. And then on the other, we have this unity that we are yet to live out and bring to fullness. With a common conviction about who Jesus is and what he accomplished at the cross and genuine care for one another, we continue to push on, making the body grow so that it can build itself up in love. Now, I don't know if you have, if you know of or you may have watched on TV or you might even be a part of a family that struggles with unity. Um, we see a lot of these famous families on TV that struggle with unity and the emotional energy, the volatility, the drama that they spend on just surviving each day leaves nothing left to invest in the family to make it grow. And isn't that our goal? That the family of God will grow in number and in maturity. So what are these character expectations worthy of the calling to which we've been called? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love and eager, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit. We want these characteristics to be known and to be visible, don't we? So when people talk about someone from the church of God, the family of God, these are the characteristics that they notice. But you might ask, why do we actually need to have these character traits and expectations anyway? Being in a family can be hard work. But being in the family of God can be really hard work. Just take a look around. And maybe while you're doing that, take a look at the mirrored glass up the back of the auditorium. So, why is it that we come into the family of God? Why do we care for someone who doesn't share our taste in music? Why don't we care for someone who has different parenting or lifestyle decisions to us? Or why do we care for someone who generally frustrates us? The answer lies in verses 11 to 13. We are called to press on until we attain. So we're 11 to 13, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. We do it to equip the saints, that's each of us, for the work of ministry, to build up the body build up the body of Christ. That's our goal. 
It's the calling to which we have been called for the body to grow, building itself up in love. You see, the family of God is supposed to stand out. We're not supposed, we're not supposed to look like those TV families. We're not supposed to treat each other with the same selfish motives that are being pushed at us every day. We need to be different because the head of our family is different. Our family's purpose is different. We're not here to take, to beat down, or to overcome. We're here to give, we're here to lift up, and we're here to point people to Jesus. So you might ask, well, that's good, but how do I actually do that? How can I be involved in building up the body of believers in love? So I've just got a few practical suggestions in ways that I think we can do this. I think this isn't an exhaustive list, but some of these ways might be gathering together on Sunday mornings. As we come here each Sunday and we stand shoulder to shoulder, we pray, sing, sit under God's word and share communion together, that's an encouragement to one another that we find importance in gathering together in obedience to Christ. So continue to do that. Let me encourage you to do that. You could also join a core group. So in our church, we have small, small group Bible studies that meet midweek. Join a core group where you can meet in a small group and share deeply. That's a great place for you to get to know someone deeply, but then be able to support, bear with, build up. A great place for that to happen where you can support one another. Another way that you can get involved in building up the body in love, is to serve. Join a ministry. Get involved in a practical expression of your faith. It might be mowing the lawn. It might be serving in children's ministry. It might be joining the music or tech team. It might be leading a Bible study. But use the gifts and abilities that God has given to you. Stand with someone that you can support practically in ministry. And the fourth area I've got here, and by no means the last, is to pray for people. Pray for people and let them know you're praying for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. Let them know that you're praying for them, you're standing with them and offer them words of encouragement. Now you might be thinking that, you know, I'm not experienced or qualified enough to do these things, or I'm not sure how I can be part of building up the body in love. But that's the great thing about the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? It transforms lives. He enables us to consider and care for people that are different to us, that we might not have associated with previously, that we might not have seen or noticed. He enables us to do things that we might not have been able to do before. But most of all, and most importantly, He calls us to this work of building one another up in love. Now, when each part is working properly, not just some parts or the formally qualified parts, or the experienced parts. When each part is working properly, the body will grow so that it builds itself up in love. So today, as you're thinking about Australia Day, and we clock out of here shortly, and we head off to the beach, or whatever we're doing, some barbecue somewhere to have sausages with barbecue sauce. As you think about how you're going to celebrate Australia Day and what it means to be an Aussie, Take a moment to think and reflect on your greatest calling. Yeah, your calling to a new nation, 
a new people and a new family. Think about what opportunities you're being presented with to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called as part of God's family. And today's Australia Day, so let me finish with two verses. One I learned as a kid, and it will be familiar to you. It's by Dorothea McKellar, and it was written in 1904, and it's titled, it's just one verse out of the poem, My Country. I love a sunburnt country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons, I love her jewel sea, her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. Quite descriptive, isn't it? And when you think about that, in today's context, I go, I'm not actually sure that a lot has changed. This still describes our country so well, doesn't it? So written 116 years ago, but still valid today. And here's some words for our new nation under God. There was a song written only a couple of years ago in 2018. Um, these are the words people come together strange as neighbours our blood is one children of generations of every nation of kingdom come Jesus our redemption our salvation is in his blood Jesus light of heaven friend forever his kingdom come so written only a couple of years ago but speaking to an event over 2000 years ago and that message definitely hasn't changed. While we think about our country not changing, the nation and family of God hasn't changed in over 2,000 years. Jesus, our redemption, our salvation in his blood. Jesus, light of heaven, friend forever, his kingdom come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift, but also um, the opportunities we have to grow as we live and encourage one another in the family of God. Father, I just pray that as we go out today that uh, we'd be thinking about what it means to be a member of your family, what we've been called to and the characteristics that you've asked us to have and uh, exercise and share with one another. Father, we pray that our church would be a church noted by these characteristics because our church is growing, not just in number but in maturity as we continually strive to build one another up in love. So we commit that to you this morning in your son's worthy and precious name. Amen.